welcome to the house of the Lord. I'm Michael Lilienthal, pastor of Our Savior's Lutheran Church. In our normal episodes, we plan a service. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit differently today because uh, for the third Sunday of Advent, which is going to be coming up next, uh, Our Savior's Lutheran Church has a tradition on the third Sunday of December, uh, instead of following the uh, historic lectionary, we have that Sunday as our children's Christmas program. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a different service that day. So rather than plan that service, uh, which I am going to preach a sermon uh, for, and I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, the, the text for that, I'm going to talk about something a little bit different, more general uh, worship uh, context. As for that, uh, that Sunday itself, uh, we're, we're going to be doing a program called See What Great Love, uh, which emphasizes the promises of God in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of Christ. It builds that anticipation for the nativity until we finally reach that, uh, that Christmas story at the end of that, uh, that service. Interestingly, at the beginning of the service is where the sermon comes, which more or less follows uh, some of Luther's structure. Uh, we have the, the sermon followed by the confession of sin. Uh, Luther designed his services to follow that structure more or less, uh, that being that people hear the message. And then just as people heard Jesus preaching, which Jesus' first preaching was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, people turn around and, and repent and receive the forgiveness of sins following the sermon. Then, um, So my, my sermon that day is going to be based on the text of Genesis eight fifteen through 22, continuing to follow the Old Testament lectionary, uh, pa Pastor Glenn Obenberger, um, and uh, so I'll, I'll read that for you now. Genesis eight fifteen through twenty two. God spoke to Noah. He said, "Go out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of every sort that is with you, all flesh, including birds, livestock, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may swarm over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth." Noah went out with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives along with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever swarms on the earth went out of the ship, species by species. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took from every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasant aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the soil any more because of man, for the thoughts he forms in his heart are evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So that's the sermon text. Uh, for the third Sunday of Advent, the theme is Forerunners of Christ. We especially look that Sunday at uh, John the Baptist and his coming. Uh, some uh, churches have the, the tradition of, of switching the violet out on this Sunday, the, the purple out for a rose color, a, a, a pink shade. Uh, and that's reflected, too, in the, the practice of Advent candles. Uh, if you have an Advent wreath, uh, by and large, you'll find they have four candles, uh, either purple or blue, but one of them is going to be rose or, or pink. And that's the third one. Uh, the third candle is is the pink one. Uh, it's emphasized that way because uh, here on this this Sunday we get that gospel message. Uh, it, it's brought out uh, that that the 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 Savior is almost here. Really, uh, that's that's John the Baptist's role. That look, he's here. He's coming. The the promise is being fulfilled, uh, and so the the dark is pulled out of the violet and makes it brighter into that that rose color. Um, that's more or less the color, uh, the reasoning behind the colors there. We get that reflected in this Old Testament lesson as well, uh, that now the flood has passed. Uh, the, with, with that past, we have uh, the, the promise of, of God that the, the flood is over. And so 
God isn't going to to do that again. (laughs) God isn't going to flood the earth again. He gives his promise of salvation to those who have come through. Uh, And uh, Noah and his family all come out and, and live in the new world that God has made for them. It's, it's, a, it's a blessed message. Certainly, Noah and his family would have been grieving uh, for perhaps friends who had been lost in the flood uh, during this time, but now they have this, this new world that they are given fully so they, they may enjoy this and, and offer sacrifices to God, uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving. Um, that's what comes out in verse 20 of this text. Uh, and so this this blessed message, it, it really uh, works quite well that the, this is also the day when we have the children's Christmas program, that they get to proclaim that joyful message uh, as well that day. So that's what we can look forward for the third Sunday of Advent uh, in, in uh, December, the third Sunday in December uh, this year. So with that uh, alongside here, we're going to talk about what uh, what's different, what I promised you here. Uh, this is connected with the, the whole concept of doing the Old Testament lectionary and, and how that can be relevant for us as Christians. Uh, in the Evangelical Lutheran hymnary, there are, on page 40 in the front, it's called Prayers for Worship. It's just one page, two columns of prayers uh, that can be offered in the context of worship. There's a prayer before worship, a prayer in remembrance of baptism, a prayer before Holy Communion, then after Holy Communion, and at the end of divine service. And these are designed for uh, families to pray either before they come to church and then after they leave church or in the pew as they're getting prepared for it. That's uh, more or less the purpose of the, the prelude when the, the music is playing before the service starts, which, uh, as as I talked about before uh, in Advent, it is sometimes traditional to silence that. But then in the silence before the worship service begins, uh, these prayers uh, are to be offered before that uh, and then after that as well. The, the communion ones really surround that sacrament itself. Um, you, you can pray that prayer before communion, either before the service, uh, or right before, uh, the, the communion service is going on. There, there's a period of the offering being gathered, uh, is really a logical place for that. Uh, once, once you've put your offering in the plate or you're waiting for the plate to come to you as it's being moved around, you pray that prayer before Holy Communion and then after Holy Communion when you return to your seat, um, I want to particularly talk about the prayers before worship. Again, I'm looking at the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary on page 40 in the prayers before worship. It begins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the the one who is praying is invited to to make the sign of the cross over himself or herself. Uh, And that's, that's a reminder of baptism. So we've got that in remembrance of baptism prayer coming up, but we're starting with it right here that I'm baptized. So I'm coming in the presence of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason I have any right to come before God and be in his presence. Uh, so that's where we start. Then the, the next prayer is, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You might recognize that phrase. <laughs> it comes from the Psalm, Psalms, Psalm 122, verse 1, uh, which again is uh, from a song of ascents among the Psalms, uh, ascents going up. Uh, it's it's one of David's songs that uh, is is designed to be sung as people are climbing up into Jerusalem to go to the temple for worship. Uh, so we're invited as Christians to imagine ourselves as we're coming to worship here, ascending to that same temple mount. We're, we're going literally into God's presence. Think of that. The tabernacle in the Old Testament and the temple, God was present there. Uh, his fire that he lit was put there every day. 
and there was a cloud that went over it to show that he was there. The glory of the Lord was within that temple. On the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant, God was there in the holy place. And so here, when we come into the church service, we are to see ourselves as coming into God's presence in a very literal sense. So I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, And that follows then with this uh, prayer, the next one. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And that's from Habakkuk 2.20. That passage from Habakkuk's prophecies comes at a point where the prophet is making a sharp distinction between the true God and the idols. And he's especially talking about the idols of the Chaldeans here. The point is that the true God is not a silent dumb, wooden idol, but he is the living God. He's the living God, and he is able to be found in his holy temple. Uh, Essentially what Habakkuk is saying is there, these false gods aren't anywhere, but God is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. And if God is there, if God has come to earth, the temple is on an earthly plane, but it's, it's that nexus between heaven and earth. If God is there, let all the earth keep silence before him. So that has implications for our worship as well. We're saying, if I'm coming into God's presence, if God is here on earth, I better shut up and listen. I better pay attention to what he has to say because he's here for a reason. Uh, And it's a very intense message, but it's also a very blessed one because when we do keep that silence before him and listen to his word and receive his sacraments, what we're going to hear and taste and smell and see is forgiveness. We're going to receive that forgiveness of sins from him when we keep that silence before him. Rather than uh, vaunt our own pride and our our own feelings about things, uh, when we listen to what God has to say, there's nothing more blessed than that. I want to read just a little bit of the the context of that Habakkuk prophecy because it's it's so good. Uh, Starting at, uh, at verse 18, what benefit is provided by a carved idol? It was hewn by hewn by its maker. What good is a cast statue? It teaches lies. Why would the maker trust his own creation? He makes useless gods that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to a hunk of wood, wake up, or who says, get up to a stone that cannot speak. Can that thing be your teacher? Although it is covered with gold and silver, there is no life in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent before him. Oh, that's such a magnificent there. Again, the, the emphasis is there that with all these other idols, pay attention to what those idols are. And those are things that we've made. Those are things that we've created in our image. And even when we say we're worshiping the true God, we have to pay attention. Are we actually worshiping the true God or something we're calling the true God that we've really made in our own image? Uh, when in fact, if we look at the temple, God designed the temple. God designed the tabernacle. God designed uh, how he comes to us. He instituted his word and his sacraments. That's where the true God is to be found. Not in something a human being created, but in something that God instituted and designed. So that's where we we keep silence before him. The next passage uh, in these prayers before worship on page 40, uh, again in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's from Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, which this is the only one that comes uh, out of uh, the New Testament in these prayers. Uh, we're, we're focusing on the Old Testament, but again, the, the idea of the temple being central here. And now we get that in the context of the New Testament. When John was writing the book of Revelation, this was uh, close to the end of the first century, uh, still um, 50 
40, uh, 50, 60 years after Jesus died and then ascended into heaven, um, he's writing these, these words. He has this vision as he's exiled in the island of Patmos. Uh, and he's, he has already seen the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple destroyed there. But when that temple was destroyed, it wasn't really the temple anymore. Jesus pointed to the true temple, and that was himself, his body. The, the temple in Jerusalem was designed as something that was a picture of Jesus' body and a picture of heaven. And now when we, when we look at uh, this, this chapter of Revelation right near the end, chapter 21, uh, it begins with John saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. So everything is destroyed, just like... Jerusalem and the temple there, but there's something new brought out in its place. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And from the throne, I heard a loud voice that said, Look, God's dwelling is with people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And it goes on, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, because the former things have passed away. So what I said with that uh, Habakkuk passage, let the earth keep silence before him. Well, if we're keeping silence, and then we listen to these words coming out of the throne, these are those blessed words that God is with us. And he's with us to comfort us to wipe away the tears from our eyes. He, he's with us because he has prepared us as his own bride. He has cleansed us and made us pure. That's reflect, uh, reflection of uh, Ephesians 5, where uh, it says Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, having washed her with water by the word, uh, to present himself to present her to himself as, as uh, a perfect bride. I'm, I'm paraphrasing all of this, but uh, he cleanses us to bring us to himself. Uh, and the, so when God is with us, when the tabernacle of God, that, that, that tent-like structure from the Old Testament uh, that was the precursor to the temple, um, it, it says about Jesus, too, in, in the beginning of John's gospel, that he tented among us. That's a literal translation uh, of, of the Greek there. He, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He, he put on flesh. God the Son put on flesh as one puts on the skin of a tent. Uh, and he tabernacled. He dwelled pitched his tent among us. Jesus is the tabernacle and the temple. So the tabernacle of God being with men means that Jesus came to us and he's still with us. In this Advent season, once again, we're looking at the three Advents, how Jesus came as a baby in Mary's womb and born in Bethlehem, as he will come on the last day as judge, and as he comes now in word and sacrament. And in all three of those Advents, he doesn't come as just some ethereal figure. He is God and man. He is true God and true man. God in flesh. He tabernacles among us. There's great comfort to be had in that, that in the word and in the sacraments, we have our brother, our flesh and blood brother, who is also true God dwelling among us. And he is our God. That he intercedes for us. One who has suffered as we suffer and even more one who has paid the price for all of our sins on the cross and has risen to life to prove that our flesh will also rise to eternal life. He intercedes for us. He is our God, and he dwells with us even now in his word and sacraments. Um, and so then we come to the, the last uh, passage here. Excuse me. The last passage in these prayers. Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. 
That comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. That's when the boy Samuel uh, was sleeping in the temple before the Ark of the Covenant uh, in his service to uh, Eli, the, the, the priest. Um, he sleeps there and hears God's voice. And Eli tells him to say these words, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. And when Samuel does, he receives the message of God. God is speaking to us in the temple, in his word and in his sacraments. So it's our duty, again, keep silence before him, simply to tell him to speak to us. Speak. We're listening. We just listen uh, and hear what he has to say, even if in Samuel's case the message is a difficult one. Uh, he had to preach some harsh law to his his mentor, uh, his father figure, Eli, the, pro, the, the priest. Uh, he had to tell him that his sons were going to be condemned for their wickedness and their idolatry. Um, even if that message is what we're given... We just listen, because it's not up to us to choose the message. It's God's message. So what he gives us is for our use. Uh, of This idea from Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's useful for all these things, ultimately, so that the man of God may be uh, well-equipped for every good work. Uh, we are to be equipped by the word law, showing us our sin, and even if, if we need to preach that law to others, and the gospel, showing us our Savior, which we are, of course, delighted to share with others. But again, both of those messages are hated by the world, uh, and it's not natural for any of us to want to just sit and listen to those words, uh, because we are, by nature, uh, citizens of the kingdom of Satan. But in these prayers, we're asking God uh, to give us the, the heart and the mind to receive these words that he gives to us. The prayer goes on, um, paraphrasing uh, that, uh, that or, or building upon that prayer of Samuel and then uh, referencing a few other passages. It says, I am your servant. Again, we're humbling ourselves here. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Uh, seems a paraphrase from Psalm 119 there, uh, which is the great psalm of the word. Maybe I'll talk about that sometime. It's, it's a wonderful psalm. Uh, incline my heart to the words of your mouth. Speak, Lord, for you have the words of eternal life. That one especially comes from uh, John 6 near the end there, uh, where Jesus asks Peter, will you go away also? And Peter, where, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Uh, emphasizing again the difference between the, the idols and the true God, uh, or any of our own preferences, and the true God and what he has to say. Anywhere else we go, isn't going to measure up to where we are now, and that being in church, in the worship, in the divine service, receiving what God gives to us in his word and sacraments. Those are the words of eternal life. And it says, speak to me to comfort my soul and to purify my life. Uh, that, that speaks of both justification and sanctification. Uh, that justification, comfort my soul that my sins are forgiven. Purify my life so that in that forgiveness of sins and the grace of the Holy Spirit, I may continue to perform good works, that I may grow in that grace and in that holiness that you have provided to me. Uh, let my life be pure. Then speak that you may receive praise, glory, and everlasting honor. Amen. And we see here that whenever God speaks, it always goes back to him that uh, when, when he speaks law, it's to show his justice, his righteousness, that he is perfect and we are not. And when he speaks gospel, it's to show his mercy, that despite our unworthiness, he lifts us up. For both of these things, God receives praise, glory, and everlasting honor. Uh, he ought to anyway. Of course, after the law, we're not necessarily inclined to praise him. No, no heart that's destroyed by the law can actually praise God. But 
one that is uplifted then by the gospel can. And so that's all to that, that point. Uh, so this is how we begin our worship service. Before the worship service begins, we're asking uh, for our hearts and minds to be put in the right mindset, uh, in, in, the, in the right place to receive what God gives to us. And that emphasizes what we talk about with the service itself. Uh, I, I'll always emphasize that this is the divine service, and that's what each of the, the rites in the hymnary are called, the divine service, rite one, rite two, rite three, rite four. The divine service means primarily the divine God is coming in service to us. It's God's service to us. That's what the divine service means. He comes to us to give us his word and his sacraments, by which especially he gives us the forgiveness of sins, and with the forgiveness of sins, there is also eternal life and salvation. So uh, I, I hope you see here why it's it's so comforting and wonderful to go into the house of the Lord. Uh, I encourage you to use those prayers uh, or, or similar ones before your own uh, worship services when you are preparing to go into the divine service. Again, that, that period before the service, you, the, the church is typically divided. I don't know if you're in a different church, how yours might be uh, designed, but there, there are typically in traditional churches uh, a space called the narthex, which is outside of the main sanctuary, and then the nave, which is in the sanctuary. Uh, I think I talked about that uh, last week regarding the, the ship-like shape of it. In that nave is where the focus is on God. All the pews in the nave, or the, or the chairs, depending on what you have, are facing the altar. That's where God sits. Uh, picture that altar as the throne of God. Again, that mercy seat. It's, it's a, a depiction of the same similar shape as the temple. That that's where God sits. God is present there. So in that nave, your focus is on God. In the narthex, you talk to one another. You talk about the weather. You talk about your day. You show love to your neighbor out in the narthex. But in the sanctuary, in the, in the nave, that's primarily where you are worshiping God and listening to God. Your eyes and ears are focused forward toward that altar. And so there, before the service begins, I encourage you to bow your hearts uh, and minds and head, heads in prayer, asking God to give you uh, the understanding to receive his testimonies, asking him to speak to you as he, as he certainly will in that divine service through his word, and as he will come to you in the sacraments. Uh, so again, this is a joyful message. Uh, so I, I pray God's blessings on you as you continue through this Advent season, uh, as you look at uh, the message of John the Baptist pointing to the coming of the Christ uh, on this third Sunday of Advent that's coming up. And until we meet again, uh, you can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L or contact me through the, the website tapestryradio.org slash Lord's House. So in the meantime, peace be with you. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours. yours.